Well, my friends, unbelievably, we've reached the end of season five of I'd Rather Be Reading, our longest season to date, just for the record, 20 episodes that I'm so proud of. It's been a season filled with conversations about everything from music to the Kardashians to Duke basketball to Vogue and Nora Ephron and Jacqueline Kennedy and the New York Yankees, adult friendships, boundaries, belonging, self-acceptance, and why we haven't elected a female president yet here in the United States. For so many reasons, this season was so personal to me. They all are, but the topics covered this season really feel like me. And that's why I love this show. I have full creative control and I choose books and authors that A, I truly love and B, I'm deeply interested in. As you can see, my tastes kind of run the gamut and there's no work that I do that feels more authentic to who I am as a person than I'd rather be reading. So thank you for being on this journey with me. To close season five, I really can't think of a much more personal topic to me than this, Alzheimer's disease. Coincidentally, as I was reading the book we'll talk about today and preparing for this interview, I also was writing a story about a gift to fund an Alzheimer's disease research center in the town where I live, Birmingham, Alabama. Alzheimer's is deeply personal to me. Three of my four grandparents were impacted by this devastating disease. When I was 14, my mom and I moved in with my grandparents to help my grandmother take care of my grandfather, who was, by 2001, seven years into his battle with the disease often called The Longest Goodbye, which is also the name of the book we'll be talking about today. My grandfather was first diagnosed in 1994 when I was eight years old. He was a brilliant man, an electrical engineer for a telephone company, and we knew something was off when, for Christmas, he got an answering machine as a gift, if you'll remember back in the early 90s and those days, and he had absolutely no interest in putting it together. Before, he would have spent all day figuring it out until he had it all set up and ready to go. By 1999, five years in, the disease had overtaken his mind completely. I can still remember Thanksgiving of that year, finding my grandfather, who was just about as alpha male as they come, weeping to my grandmother that he didn't remember the names of many of the family members who were around the table. From 2001 until he went into a nursing home in December 2004, my mom and I lived with he and my grandmother, watching my grandmother selflessly care for him while also watching the disease take its devastating toll on him. He loved music and ice cream and remained sweet and kind and just such a good man until the very end of his life. But he was very, very, very sick. He lived in the nursing home for almost three years to the day before he died there on December 12th, 2007. I remember that day so vividly. I was a junior in college. It was finals week. I was 21 years old and my grandfather was the central male figure in my life. His loss is profound and is as profound today as it was in 2007. My grandmother and my other grandfather also suffered from dementia, but, and not that it's a competition, none more so than my papa, who I am honored to dedicate this episode to today as well as Shelly's mom and all those who both suffer from this terrible disease and their courageous, brave caretakers. 
Let me tell you about Shelley Calcogno, who wrote a devastatingly beautiful book about Alzheimer's, The Longest Goodbye, A Family's Hope-Filled Journey Through Alzheimer's, which is out today, November 15th. Shelley is a writer, a blogger, a content creator who is immensely talented. She's also a podcaster. She hosts the show, A Space for Grace. And before The Longest Goodbye, she wrote a children's book called Teenies Tangles. She's written and produced several animated series for children. And from 2013 to 2016, she co-hosted 100 Huntley Street, which is Canada's longest running daytime talk show. She produced lifestyle and family segments there. She and her family live in the Niagara, Ontario region of Canada. Juxtapose that with my Birmingham, Alabama self. And I can think of no one I would rather have close season five than Shelly. Take a listen to our conversation. Shelly, welcome to the show. I I said to you offline a moment ago that I'm excited to have you here. I am excited to have you here, but we're going to talk about a really difficult topic today. So I'm really glad you're here today. Yeah, well, thank you for having me. I'm just, yeah, I'm looking forward to our conversation for sure. Me too. Me too. So you shared with me uh, maybe a week ago on email that your mother, who is the heart and soul of this book, passed away from Alzheimer's complications, which is, of course, we'll get into this is what is what the book is about. But she passed away one month ago yesterday, you just told me. So I want to start by I wasn't planning on asking this question until we had that email conversation. I, I truly sincerely want to ask you, how are you doing today? Oh, <laughs> thank you for asking that. Um, yeah, it's been, I've never, like, I've obvi- obviously lost people in my life, of course, but yeah. um, this is really the closest loss that I've had to walk through. Obviously, you know, <laughs> losing your mom is challenging and my mom and I were so close. And, you know, even though we've been on this, you know, 10 year journey of goodbye, um, mm-hmm. it kind of the finality of everything has been a little bit, you know, it's been challenging to, uh, come to grips with, but I really, um, yeah, I've just really, I'm really encouraged that in, you know, even the last days of her life, you know, cause I didn't know when I wrote, when I wrote the book, what would happen. I didn't know what her final chapter was going to be like, but I just really feel like all the things I, I wrote about it in the book about, um, you know, finding hope and joy, even in the hardest of moments, like that stayed true till the very end. So that's really brought me a lot of comfort. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's just, yeah, that's brought me a lot of comfort. And I've, I've just really been trying to be kind to myself, you know, yes. in the season of loss. So yes, but yes. thank you and for asking. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's the least I can do. And you told me a moment ago that this is your actually your first interview for the book. And so I appreciate that first of all, and, you know, we will, we will definitely come at this tenderly. I've told you and um, by now my listeners know from hearing the intro that I have lost three of more, three of my four grandparents to Alzheimer's complications. And so this is a very, very personal subject for me. I have walked in your shoes, not with my mother, thankfully. Um, but I just can't imagine I'm very close to my mother as well, but, um, my heart truly goes out to you and just, I'm here for you. And I, and that's very sincere because any, I think anyone listening or anyone who knows someone that has suffered from Alzheimer's knows 
what it knows this particular pain and it's yeah. absolutely brutal. So thank you for writing this book. And I, and I pray that this press tour for you, because you and I are speaking um, about a month, a little shy of a month from when the book comes out on November 15th. But I hope that this press tour will, will be healing for you. And I hope that it thank will you. help you in your grief journey. But you know, the, the book so beautifully and heartbreakingly captures what it's like to love someone with Alzheimer's disease. So mm-hmm. I'd love to go back to your impetus to write the book. Why put pen to paper on this important topic? Yes, well, it's interesting. I, if you had told me, you know, even five years ago that I was going to write a book, you know, about Alzheimer's, you know, I'm not a medical professional. I'm not, you know, I'm not a counselor or psychologist or anything like that. Mm-hmm. Um, and my last book I wrote was about 10 years ago, and it was a children's book. So I've always been more of a, you know, lighthearted writer, I like to write for kids and for um, I'd write about parenting, you know, those sorts of things. Um, but then when I was in this journey, I, you know, at, at first, you know, when, when my mom was diagnosed and we were walking through things initially, it just felt really lonely. And I just couldn't really find comfort anywhere in, in resources I was looking for. Um, just everything seemed so clinical. And so then I just started because I've been blogging for many years. And, you know, so I just started, you know, gently kind of putting out there some of the things that I was going through and feeling, you know, and I wanted to be sensitive to my family and what we were going through. So I just started sharing things and I just got a lot of response from people. And I just realized that I wasn't alone and that there are other people that were going through the same thing. And I also, when I realized that I came to the conclusion that sometimes we don't talk about these hard things enough and sometimes yeah. there's other people struggling and we don't even know. And so maybe if we talk more about it, we can support each other. So then I just, you know, started putting that into a process of writing a book. So I never thought this was the book that I was going to write, but I really feel like it's the book that I was meant to write. And I'm so glad you did because it's interesting how life works. So I was just having, and you know, this is right around the time I was reading your book and it actually helped this conversation. I am currently in the process of writing a story about a family that gave a very substantial $5 million gift to a local university in where I live to fund Alzheimer's disease research. And hmm. um, this, this donor is totally passionate about a cure for this disease because his mother his sister and his grandmother all suffered from it, which, you know, it's genetically passed. So for me, you know, for me and you and this person I'm speaking about, you know, not only is it that you hate to see what your loved one has gone through, but for, I'm just speaking for myself, I, I want to cure because I'm a sitting duck, you know, like Mm -hmm. I am, like I'm, I'm in the line of fire for this disease. And anyway, I'm doing all this research for this story. And I talked to, um, a doctor about this, a leading doctor in Alzheimer's research. And he said to me that the number of all of folks that will be diagnosed with Alzheimer's is set to quadruple, quadruple from 5 million to 20 million. This is just in the United States in the, in the next, um, oh my gosh, I just blanked on 
the time frame in, but huh, I'm going to, I'll come back to the time frame on that, but just in, it's going to quadruple in a short amount of time. And, and that's because people are living longer. There's more people and it's just something that, and, and, and all of this to say, coming back to the conversation I was having with that donor, we said, why don't more people talk about Alzheimer's yeah. disease? Yeah. And it's because I, this is my personal opinion. I think if you have lived through watching someone suffer with Alzheimer's disease, it is almost so unspeakably painful mm-hmm. that you just want to bury it and honestly not talk about it. And because it's so hard and I'm so thankful that your book is bringing this to light and bringing this to the forefront because it's a conversation that needs to happen. We need to see people and and hear stories of people because Alzheimer's patients just so often get pushed to the side. And, um, and I, I'm, I'm rambling because this is so such an incredibly personal topic to me, but, um, you write about your grandfather's Alzheimer's, you write yet yet in the middle of our grief, we never could have imagined what was still to come. Mm -hmm. So you're, but you're before your mother was diagnosed and, uh, you know, unfortunately we'll talk about this in a second, your grandfather and your mother weren't even the only ones in your family to suffer Mm -hmm. from this disease. So how would you describe the experience of watching a loved one suffer from this awful disease? Well, it's, (laughs) I mean, as you know, cause you've shared it, it's, it's, it's a different, I don't know. I I've written, I think I wrote in my book too, you know, I don't know if, you know, a short goodbye or a long goodbye is better. I think they're both hard. Mm -hmm. Um, but watching, you know, someone that you love for, for our family, it was 10 years. So, you know, that's a decade of, you know, for me watching, you know, parts of my mom, you know, almost disappear before my eyes and, and that's hard and it's not, you know, and, and for me too, I think another reason that people don't talk about it, because often when this happens to, you know, you're kind of in the middle, like for me, I was kind of in what I would call like middle age life, you know, mm-hmm. you know, my kids were just becoming teenagers, you know, I'm, you know, working, I have my career. And so I'm trying to manage that, you know, and then at the same time, I'm trying to come to grips with, you know, what's happening with my mom too. So it's just, it's just a really, a really complicated time. And that all adds to it. And I think for anyone going through this, you know, whether you have a family or whether you're focused on your career, you know, all the, all of a sudden trying to like support and come to grips with the fact that you're losing someone in such a slow, painful way. Like it's just a, it's a hard road to walk through for sure. Yeah. Um, and I never imagined. And, and the, another thing too, you just don't know how long it's going to be right. Like 10 yeah, years, exactly. who, who would have mm-hmm. thought, and some people have shorter journeys, some people have longer journeys, but yeah. it's that you just don't know what's going to happen. And that's just a hard space to, you know, to function in for a long period of time. But that's often what people have to do when they're in this situation. Yeah, it's certainly a marathon, not a sprint. I mean, Mm -hmm. it is, it is a long, it's as your book calls it the longest goodbye. I want to circle back to something because I just remembered the facts and figures that I just completely blanked on a moment ago. So um, currently the number of folks in the United States alone that have been diagnosed with Alzheimer's is roughly 5 million. That is set to quadruple um, in the next 20 years. So yeah. we're, so that's, that's not a long time. Um, yeah, you know, that's about staggering, what, 20 actually. years, 
Yeah, yeah. If you think about what 20 years ago was and how you know quickly time passes, um, this is a problem. This is a real, mm-hmm. real problem. And I'm thankful that people are putting money and um, brains towards this cure and are, are as passionate about it as we are. And you know, as we mentioned a moment ago, Alzheimer's is genetic. You mm-hmm. not only um, have your grandfather diagnosed with Alzheimer's, but you watch two, two not just mm-hmm. one, but two of your mother's brothers, your uncles yes. walk through their own diagnoses before, of course, as we've alluded to many times, your mother too mm-hmm. was diagnosed. I just got goosebumps because, mm-hmm. you know, it's just, yeah. yeah. I mean, uh, yeah. I, I'm, I'm going to cry probably at some point. I'm just going to put that out there. I'll try not yeah. to, not that there's anything <laughs> wrong with tears, but no, um, no. I just, I feel so much for you, Shelly. I, uh, you know, I've, I've walked, I've walked it too. I want to ask you, um, I think this is so beautiful in the book, the meaning and significance of yellow flowers to you, which you talk about in the book. Yes. Um, so near the beginning of our journey, um, that's kind of how we first kind of figured out or realized that something, you know, was off a little bit with our mom. And, uh, I remember we were, my parents um, had a cottage. And so we were just there, we would gather there as family, um, quite often on holidays and, you know, over the summer. And uh, my brother was with her, I wasn't there, but my brother was with her. And he noticed that, you know, they were talking and she was, it was spring here, I'm in Canada. (laughs) So Mm -hmm. it was spring and there were like yellow dandelions. Well, that's what we call them here, um, just all over the lawn. And uh, she was trying to talk about them. And she couldn't, she couldn't remember what they were called. And so she called them yellow flowers. Mm. And so my brother, you know, something kind of went off in his mind then. And he thought, you know, that was kind of the first indication um, to him that something, you know, was off, that something was wrong. And so that kind of just started. And at the beginning, we, you know, it was really hard for us to talk about, especially knowing that her father, you know, my grandfather had Alzheimer's and her two brothers, like it was just, it was almost like we were, we were afraid to like say the words out loud in the beginning. Like it was very, you know, and I have two brothers and so, you know, I'm the sister and so I'm probably, mm-hmm. I'm more emotional. And so it, you know, it was just really hard for us, you know, to start even talking and having that conversation and then bringing it to my dad and, yeah. So now like yellow flowers, you know, every spring when I, when I go outside and I, and I see them, I just remember, you know, that, that first spring when we realized, you know, that something mm-hmm. was off. Yeah. Yeah. I remember that moment with my grandfather too, who's the, um, the, was the first of the three to my mom's dad. And he was an electrical engineer for Southwestern Bell Telephone Company for years. Brilliant guy, could put together anything, could fix Mm -hmm. anything. And this is in 1990, we're going way back here to 1994. And we got, he got a, um, a a voicemail, like, like a, an answering machine. Can't even remember what it's called. An answer, an answering machine for the landline Mm -hmm. for Christmas. And he had no interest in putting it together. And, mm-hmm. you know, we, we, anything technology, um, anything like that, anything electronic, he would always be the one to put it together. He would, you know, not only be the one to put it together, he would 
open it and be excited to put it together. He loved putting puzzles together and, you know, and, and figuring that out and he had no interest in it. And we, and that's when we said something, something's not right here. And, um, it just continued to progress and, you know, hit every, every Alzheimer's journey is different. His, um, it was kind of a slow, slower crawl for, Mm -hmm. for, for a few years. And then a very dramatic, um, very dramatic drop about, I would say 1999. So, you know, he, he, he did not pass away until 2007. So he had it for 13 years and, um, it, it really is such a long journey and, and no Mm -hmm. two, it's like snowflakes, no two, um, diagnoses are, are the same. And that's what makes it again. So, continually confounding. So I know exactly what you're talking about that moment when you, when Mm -hmm. you're like, something's not right here, something's, something's off. Um, and never before have I read such an accurate description of what walking through this disease feels like you write in the book quote, I call it the longest goodbye, this losing of the one you love piece by piece, stage by stage, hour by hour, so slow yet so fast that it all doesn't seem possible when you look back and realize that it's been almost 10 years. The longest goodbye hurts in so many ways. And that is it right there. So can you unpack that, that beautiful passage for, for all of us? Yeah, it's like, it's like this, you know, I realized, I remember one day I was visiting my parents and I, I was driving home and I just remember very often I would, I would just drive home and I would just be crying my eyes out like the whole time. And I would just feel like, you know, I would miss my mom, even though I was with her, <laughs> if Absolutely. that makes sense. Like she wasn't yeah. the, the version of my mom that I thought she was. And, and it's just like, and at, at different seasons, like there would be different things missing. And so it's like, you know, it's like coming to grips with that at each season and, you know, oh, this is you know, this, I guess this is what we're losing right now, you know, oh, I guess this is gone now. And it's just like, and it seems so slow at the time that you're going through it. Um, And sometimes, you know, for us, some seasons were really difficult, you know, in the beginning, you know, there, there were little things, but we, we could manage and we could, you know, we could get through it. But then as it progressed, you know, then there's bigger things that are missing, bigger, more things that she can't do, more adjustments that we'd have to make. And so it, it is like losing, you know, piece by piece. And it's just, it, it does feel like forever. But then at the same time, it's like a whole, you look back and a whole decade of your life is gone. And you just yeah. try to, me- you try to measure the loss of, I don't know how, I actually don't know how to measure, how you measure it properly, the loss of someone over 10 years who's still with you. And, you know, it's, it's just kind of hard to like, <laughs> you know, to like, put that all together in my mind sometimes, um, mm-hmm. you know, and you, you talked about the, the huge stats of, you know, people, you know, with Alzheimer's and how that's going to increase. And I think to the other side of that is like, and I, I was reading some numbers too, you know, I think that we sometimes forget, okay, there's the person that's going through the disease, but then there's the the people that love the person, right? Mm-hmm. And the caregivers and what they're going through. And so for every one person who has Alzheimer's, there's a whole, you know, oh, yeah. 
group of people that mm -hmm. that are affected by that diagnosis too yeah so it's just really it's really you know when you think about that it's just so overwhelming to think of all of these people you know going through this longest goodbye season saying goodbye and and how how hard it is and how different everyone's journey is you know so yeah. you know how so I you know when I think about my book it, the hope of it, my book is that maybe you know, that can be, my book can be helpful. Maybe there's some hope that can be found oh, you know, absolutely. in these hard seasons. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And there is so much hope to be found within the pages of your book. And, you know, I never give my guests questions ahead of time, but Shelly, it's as if you knew that I was about to start talking about caretakers and, <laughs> you know, being a, being, and I have been one, um, I told mm -hmm. you offline a moment ago that my mom and I moved in with my grandparents when my grandfather was sick and my grandmother was his caretaker and it just mm -hmm. became too much. We moved in mm -hmm. in 2001. So he'd been sick for seven years by then. And yeah. so it just became too much for one person to handle. And, you know, of the three of us, I, I would, I was in high school. I was only 14 or 15 in 2001. And um, I was the one that did the far least of the work, but still like, mm -hmm. it's a lot of work. And yeah. being a caretaker and loving someone through this disease is, I think, best summed up in your words. And I'll quote you, somewhere in that journey of despair, I decided that I couldn't make the world right again. It was too much of a load for me to carry. I decided that what mattered most to me was to be there for my mom and dad and let go of the rest. Maybe it was time to focus on moments, not mountains. Mm -hmm. And then you go on to say all of our moments matter. So, you know, what would you say to someone who is just beginning the journey of a loved one being diagnosed with Alzheimer's? Oh, well, the first thing I would say is um, be kind to yourself <laughs> because because mm -hmm. um, it is a long road. And I think I know, you know, I wasn't my mom's primary caregiver. Um, my dad was and I did everything I I could to support him to the best of my abilities, but I just always still felt so much guilt. Like I never felt like I was doing enough to help. And, you know, and at the same time, you know, as I said before, you know, I'm trying to manage my family, my, my career, like, you know, there's a lot of stuff going on in people's lives. And when you also have now caregiver you know, responsibilities, or, you, you know, you have someone in your family that needs support, you know, it's hard to manage it all. And for so long, like, I just, I did feel a lot of guilt, and I carried it all really heavy mm -hmm. on me. And then I realized, you know what, I, I can only do so much. And I have this other saying, <laughs> and it's, um, I'm doing the best I can. So I just kind of like, gave myself permission, um, not to have to make everything perfect and everything right, because I tend to want to do that sometimes. Yeah. But I thought, you know what, I'm going to do what I can. And when I'm doing what I can, I'm going to make the most of that time. Yeah. So, you know, and I'm coming from the perspective of I wasn't the full-time caregiver. Um, I think if you are the full-time caregiver, like I think of my, my dad's journey. And I just remember from the very beginning, and this is probably I've seen this in other people since then. It's just hard initially to realize that you need help and you need support. Right. So I would say anyone starting that journey, like make sure you get resources around you. Communities have wonderful resources for us, the local Alzheimer's Association. You know, that's where we first went and connected with. And, you know, the first time we went there, we weren't ready for that. And we probably left more upset <laughs> than when we went in. Mm -hmm. But then when we were ready and we did need it, we had things in place 
and then it was easier to kind of accept help. So I think, you know, realize that you're going to need help and just be open to that and just take some of that pressure off yourself that you have to manage everything yourself. I think that's key. And just be kind to yourself. And Mm -hmm. um, I remember when my dad first, you know, he was very resistant to having, you know, um, a personal support worker come in and help, you know, with my mom in the beginning, even for a couple hours a week. And at that time, she was pretty high functioning. But at that time, we wanted help to come in so that he could go and get a break. Right. Because care caregiver burnout is a real thing. And if True. the caregiver is not going out and getting a rest and even having, you know, a few hours to themselves, you know, in the day, even just to go for a walk or just, you know, my dad would just go get groceries, just that mental break mm-hmm. is really important. So I think it's key, like as you're starting that journey, um, it's hard to accept help sometimes because that means that you're accepting the situation. But yeah. I just think it's really important just to to not be afraid to let people help you to put things in place and then just be kind to yourself and and do the best that you can and make that. And that's okay. (laughs) Absolutely. And I mean, for my grandmother, we stepped in to help because she was herself in her seventies by now. And Mm -hmm. it was like taking care of a baby, but a six foot tall baby who, you know, was, you know, six inches taller than her burly guy you know, big guy. And, um, yeah, it's just it, caregiver burnout is, is so real and it's a 24, seven, 365 job. And yep. not only, you know, you're, you're constantly concerned about their safety. I don't know. I don't know if, um, this happened with your mom, but my grandfather always would say, I want to go home. I want to mm-hmm. go home. I want to go home. I want to go home. And we finally figured out that home was not because we would, we would drive him to his childhood home and we would yeah. go to the home and that did nothing for him. And we finally figured out that home was not a place. It was a feeling. It was a feeling of safety and that would never come back. That is something that we could never give him. And so he would, you know, we had to install a security system in the house because he would try to leave the house in the middle of the night and he would just start out walking, going, trying to again, go home. But he, you know, again, it's not a place. It's a feeling of, of being, um, content and secure in your, in your own mind, but that is robbed of, of those with Alzheimer's. And so, um, I want to, I want to carry your point for a minute and say, you touch on the importance of self-care as a Mm -hmm. caretaker. Um, Mm -hmm. you were not the primary caretaker for your mom, but you did, you definitely were a caretaker. And Mm -hmm. I would love to know what self-care practices you employed, um, during, during your 10 year journey. Um, well, I just, I like for me, self-care is just, just doing things I know that are life giving to me. Um, Mm -hmm. So I would always like, for me, it's like, it's, it's nothing too (laughs) clinical. It's like, you know, it's, it's making sure I spend time with my friends and, you know, I go for dinner and I, and I have that time. It's sometimes, you know, I just, my personality if there's been a particularly stressful situation, like I remember one time we had to bring my mom to the hospital and hospitals are not designed at all for Alzheimer's patients, you know, going into emergency. And it was probably one of the most stressful days of my life. And after we got through that, I remember I just came home and I literally like 
sat in my bed for the next day and just I watched Netflix all day. So that's mm -hmm. not like a clinical <laughs> cure for anything. But <laughs> for me, that was just how I got through that. Mm -hmm. And so I just think, you know, sometimes I go down to the water, I live near a lake. And so, you know, I'll go to places that kind of, you know, fill me up again. And kind of like when when I feel drained, you know, I just go and, and I like I love being outside in nature. So you know, going for a walk, you know, even in the last month, since my mom passed away, I decided, you know, I'm just going to be really kind to myself this month. So, you know, I did what I had to do. And then I just, you know, in my daily, once I got back to work, but then I would come home and I would, you know, I'd go for a walk. I just wrap myself in a blanket for the night. I would just, you know, bring myself and let myself be in those spaces where I know I need to be refilled. And mm -hmm. so I've tried to do that along the whole journey. And, you know, um, even when I, when my mom went into long, long-term care, that was like really a traumatic experience for me too. And really, really hard. So, you know, during that season, I, I find for me when, you know, I'm going through things that are really difficult, then I've, I've learned, even though I don't always feel like it, I've just learned that those are the times that I just have to give myself a little bit more care and pay a little bit more attention to myself because yeah. it's easy then to go into like full, I'm going to try to just get over this mode. I'm going to try to, you know, I can push through, I'm strong. And while I do believe those things about myself, I also know when I have kind of hit the, that wall and I just need to rest and I just need to like mm -hmm. just refill and reflect. And so I think just giving permission for that is, is huge. Um, yeah. Sometimes I make soup. <laughs> yep. Sometimes I just do random things that, you know, just things that just let me not have to like focus on, you know, the whole situation around me, but just sure. things that are, that are calming to me. So I'm sure a therapist could say all that much more <laughs> uh, <laughs> clearly than me, but no, yeah, that... I just try to be kind to myself. I think that's my, right. my motto. Well, because just how there's no two Alzheimer's diagnoses that are exactly the same. There are no two caretaker paths that are exactly the yeah. same either. And you, you have to do what, you know, going on a hike to me sounds like hell, but going on a hike <laughs> to another caretaker might sound like heaven. And yes. so you do what you and I are on the same page. I like to like go be by the water and um, yeah. watch Netflix. That's more my yeah. speed, but mm -hmm. you know, whatever it is for you as a caretaker, you've got to take care of yourself because it affects the caretaker um, and caretakers just as much as it does. Um, I, I don't know if I'll say just as much, but it certainly affects the caretakers mm -hmm. so much. And you write, quote, it can feel painful, but try to embrace and fully love wherever you are in the journey. And that is, Shelly, this is me talking now. That is so tough because it's sometimes mm -hmm. really difficult to embrace and love where you're at. Oh, yeah. Um, okay, back to you. Hold on to the preciousness of the past while learning to navigate a new way ahead. That's beautiful mm -hmm. and incredibly aspirational. And I don't think I really did that much during yeah. my own journey through this. But what are some ways that that people can do that? So I think, and you know, I I don't want to make my my journey sound too idealistic either. Like, you know, I you know there was deep pain obviously, and deep sorrow that I've walked through. Um, I came to the, I came to the conclusion, though, that my, my life with my mom was just like filled with so much love, and so much joy, that I, I didn't want this journey to, to rob me of all of that. 
Yeah. And I didn't want to become so engulfed in grief that that I forgot everything that, you know, made her the most amazing mom and, you know, our most amazing relationship. Um, last week, I was just writing some reflections. And I think maybe I was able to write it better now that, um, you know, after, after she's gone now, but I, I wrote, you know, grief won't become my identity because love has been my story. And so Ooh. I, I didn't want to, I didn't want to put on that, that, I don't know, I'll call it that jacket of grief and just wear that and let that define mm-hmm. me. So I really, even though it was hard, I, I was determined that in all of these moments, even the painful moments, I was just going to look for joy and I was going to look for hope. And so, and that wasn't always easy, but, you know, I, you know, going to sit with my mom for an hour, you know, yes, she's declining. She doesn't know my name right now, but I am with her. I'm holding her hand. (laughs) We're watching a Hallmark movie. Like that's a treasured memory to me now, right? We would go to, you know, Tim Hortons here in Canada. We would go there and, you know, part of my heart would be, you know, just in so much pain because she couldn't really, you know, communicate what she wanted. She would just kind of like tap on the, you know, on the display to the muffins she wanted. And, you know, but, you know, right now I think back now and, and, you know, that particular little coffee shop we would go to, then we'd sit by the fire and we'd have our food. And, and I just feel like, and there's so many other examples of, of that, you know, walking around a greenhouse because she loved flowers, we would do that. And even in the moment, I didn't always maybe feel like it or feel the most joy in it, but I still made sure that I just embrace those moments because now I look back and those moments bring me so much comfort Mm -hmm. that I had those times with her and that, that I didn't just, you know, sit there and just, you know, be upset and overcome with grief. I just tried to still, you know, I just tried to still, you know, all the things that she loved that we loved together. I just tried to still embrace them at every stage. Mm -hmm. Um, even though it was really hard, like when she was in, in her long-term care home, my daughter and I, my mom loved roses. So, you know, we went in and we just plastered the walls with these, you know, stick on roses. And I would Mm -hmm. go to her house and cut roses from her garden and bring them, you know, I just tried to keep making moments in the middle of my pain because I didn't want my pain to take over. So, and it wasn't always easy. I just, that's just how I decided that I was going to walk the journey. Well, and you think about it, you, your journey with her was 10 years long. Yeah. That is not an insignificant part of your life. And yeah. if you let yourself stay in a negative place for the entire journey, that's a decade of your life yeah. lived in yeah. negativity. And that and that's a decade that you can't get back. Yeah. And so I completely co-sign. It's so hard to do, but oh, sure. yeah. <laughs> it's, you know, I, you, for your own self, I mean, it's life, it's, it's life that you just can't get back. And, mm-hmm. um, I, I love this, you know, it's, it's interesting. I'm walking in a very, very real season of grief, not about my grandparents, but about another family member that did not have Alzheimer's died. I've quite the opposite died at 33 in a just very different fashion, um, Mm -hmm. over the summer. And so I'm in reading this book was, was doubly healing for me because it was also so affirming about you. You made me feel very not alone in Mm -hmm. the journey of watching people that I love have Alzheimer's, but also, 
on the other side, you're walking through grief. And I, when I was reading this book was also walking through grief, just a different grief. And so it's, it's, I I would recommend this book, not just deaf. I mean, obviously definitely for people that um, know someone with Alzheimer's, but also just with anybody who's, who's walking through grief right now. And I want to quote you. um, I love this quote. We don't generally see grief as a way for us to grow in our lives. We are usually so engulfed in making it through the days that we can't identify where we are on the journey, but be assured there is growth in the longest goodbye. And, uh, and I, I agree with that. So how, how did you grow through your 10 years of the longest goodbye? (laughs) Well, first of all, I'm I'm very sorry for your loss as well. Thank you. And uh, I just know, yeah, walking through, walking through grief is a journey. And I don't even know, um, I wrote last week, I just, I think I did a little Instagram post, like I, I'm learning, I feel like now I'm relearning to grieve again, because, you know, there was the grief of the, the 10 year journey. And now there's kind of the grief of the finality of that 10 mm-hmm. year journey. So um, I, I don't know. I just, you know, I, I have a strong faith too. And so I put a lot of my trust and hope in my faith yeah. and I just, I just try to, I think I, I wrote a chapter talking about moments. So sometimes I, I think as I was going through the 10 years, like sometimes it's easy to like, um, to, to look at the big picture of what could be and what could happen and become really overwhelmed with that. So I think in my journey of goodbye, I just tried to like, I tried to break it down into moments. And I and I learned to like, just take those steps along the way and not to become too overwhelmed. Because like I said, I didn't want to be overcome with grief. And so I just kind of learned, you know, to, to grieve in the stage that I was in, and then move on and, and embrace the next stage and embrace is a weird word. You know, my brother said to me a few weeks ago, um, you know, just before, just before my mom passed, he, you know, he made the comment that, you know, that I embraced this journey with my mom. And I, I guess I did, you know, embracing sounds a little bit positive, you know, an embrace, but, but I guess I did. Cause I guess I just tried to hold on. And I guess I, I tried to like, just, you know, embrace every stage the best that I could mm-hmm. and, and just walk through it that way. And so I think I learned how to do that. I think I learned, okay, this stage is over now. Now we're, this is where we're at. So I need to learn how to embrace this stage and, you know, how, how, how am I going to manage this stage? You know, what are the things that I'm going to look for that are just going to, going to be life-giving in my life at the same time that it's difficult? How are we going to make, you know, the change? So it's just kind of, walking through 10 years of grief like that, just kind of learning how to let things go when you need to and grieve them. Mm -hmm. And then, okay, and now this is the next part. So how are we going to face this part? And, you know, how am I going to face the challenges? How am I still going to look for hope in the middle of all of that? So that, that was really, I think how, how I survived, you know, when my mom went into the care home, that was a really, really deep grieving season for me. Yeah. Um, like it was like, no one ever talked to me about what that was like to leave your parent at a care home and drive away. Yeah. Like it was, yeah. it was like really traumatic for me. And so I just let myself grieve in that season. And then, you know, I moved ahead and it's interesting, you know, I, I told my dad a couple of weeks ago, 
the last time walking out of that care home now after she passed, like, you know, now I was grieving leaving that place because I had become Mm -hmm. used to her in that place. And that place had become such a special place now, right? With so many memories. And, you know, I just learned to embrace it after I initially (laughs) despised it. So I think, I think that's just part of the journey. That's been part of the journey for me, just coming to terms, you know, at every stage and then grieving that and then, okay, that we got to face what's next. And so, and it hasn't, again, I I don't want it to sound so idealistic because because it's been hard, but that's just how I've gotten through. That's so interesting that you bring up the care home because I too had the biggest issue with him finally in 2004. So he had had the disease for 10 years mm-hmm. and, um, I, I had the biggest issue with him going into a nursing home and, um, but I, I felt like it was us conceding to the disease uh-huh. and like giving up on him. And yeah. I was also very young at this time. I'm very young and dumb. I was like maybe 18 years old at this time. And, yeah. um, and you know, I, I thought we, it was us throwing in the towel. He ended up going on to live for, um, almost a full three more years after, after that. And, um, but I, I just, I resonate with that so much because mm-hmm. that was very difficult. And I'm sure we're not the only ones. It was very mm-hmm. difficult. It felt like we were saying there's nothing more we can do as a family for, for him. Yeah. And we're like casting him off. Obviously my, my sweet grandmother, my God lover, best woman I've ever known went to the care facility every single day. Mm-hmm. And I am from Kansas. And so a lot of months of the year, snowy and icy, the care facility was yeah. about 30, 45 minutes away. Never, ever missed a day wow. um, that I, that I can remember. I was also off yeah. at college for a lot of that part, but that I, I never remember her not going in and spending at least an hour or so with him. Um, and so, um, gosh, this is just bringing up so many memories of just, you know, that I've, that I've, yeah. this is a long time ago. I mean, this is, you know, all my, my last grandparent died in 2012. And so it's been a long time since I've thought about this really like this. And, um, it's, yeah. it's just, it's, it's good to talk about these things. We don't talk yeah. about these things enough. No. You know, because we just, we, there's no rule book. There's no handbook. There's no guidebook for how to do this. And if yeah. there was, it would be your book because it's, you know, it's just every, every person's situation is unique, but we just don't talk about these things mm-hmm. as a society. We, we shelve them and we just deal with it. And um, sometimes good, sometimes bad, but these conversations are so life-giving and affirming. Like somebody's listening right now and they're saying, I'm right there and I get mm-hmm. it. And um, it's just so good to know that you're not alone. And yeah. you know, as we close today, Shelly, my last question for you is what do you hope readers ultimately get from the longest goodbye? Oh, <laughs> I, get, I guess what you were, what you just said, like, you know, the kind of the tagline, you know, of my book is, you know, a family's hope filled journey through Alzheimer's. And, Mm -hmm. you know, usually when we think of Alzheimer's or really any long term illness, it feels hopeless. Um, And I just, I just hope that I hope, (laughs) I hope that people feel hope, but I just, I, I want people to know that, um, that, you know, as you walk a journey of grief, that you can intentionally look for joy moments. Um, You can look for gifts and that they're there, even though they may not feel like they're there, but if you look hard enough, you can find them. And it's important to do that, I think, because um, I can honestly say 
Um, yeah, now I'm going to cry, but I'm, I can honestly say like in saying goodbye to my mom a month ago that I have absolutely, like, I have no regrets at all. And mm. I just really, that's how I wanted to live this journey with her this last 10 years. I wanted to know that, you know, I loved her the best that I could love her that, you know, even in my grief, I, you know, I was able to press on, I was able to, you know, I, I had a strength that I didn't know that I had, um, And I just want people to know that they can, you know, they can do that too. They can find that too. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it's just, it's an opportunity as well to, you know, I saw a lot of people in, you know, in the care home too, that were alone and had nobody. And that broke my heart too. Me too. Yeah. And I just feel like there's, you know, if someone read my book and they were like, you know what, I, you know, I, I didn't have a great relationship with a parent or grandparent, but, you know, maybe, maybe I can make things right. Maybe this is the time for me to go and support them and love them. And you know what I mean? Like, I just, I just hope it encourages people in their journey um, and their legacy. I'm big on legacy, you know, you know, love to love in a way and to press on in a way that is just, you know, a legacy for those around you by the way that you loved. So I hope it brings encouragement and hope um, in all those areas for people. Well, it certainly did that for me. And I can't wait for the public to get their hands on this book. Listeners, whether you are walking with a loved one through the Alzheimer's journey, or you are just grieving uh, wherever you're at, um, or, or if you're not, even if you just want to really read a hope-filled book, please grab a copy of The Longest Goodbye, A Family's Hope-Filled Journey Through Alzheimer's. It is out November 15th. Shelly, it's been an honor to talk to you, and I wish you so much. I'm sending you so much love and prayers and support. Um, You're in Canada. I'm all the way in Alabama. It doesn't matter. (laughs) I'm sending you, I hope you can feel all the way there, how much love me and my listener base are sending you as you continue to grieve the loss of a woman that any reader will come to fall in love with and um, see as the beautiful soul that she was and is because she still lives on because there's you and you are giving the world the greatest gift of this book that honors her. And I, I just celebrate this book and I am, my heart is with you. Thanks so much, Rachel. And thanks for having me and sharing part of your story too. And um, I'm honored that this was my first interview and the first time I got to talk about my book and my mom. So um, it's been really great for me and special for me too. So thank you so much. Thank you, Shelly. Such a powerful conversation and such a powerful book. The Longest Goodbye is out today, November 15th. Thank you, Shelly, for being here with me today. Thank you for sharing your story in the book and on the show. You continue to be all over my prayers, especially as we walk into the holiday season and all of the firsts. You are at the top of my thoughts, and thank you for being so brave and sharing your story. Listeners, thank you for being here through season five and keep I'd Rather Be Reading in your feed. We will be back very soon, and I do mean very soon, with season six. Unbelievable. Conversations are ahead about everything from true crime to wellness to so much more. And until then, happy Thanksgiving to my listeners in the U.S. I am thankful for each and every one of you listeners, be it in the U.S. or around the world. 
Thank you for being here and we'll talk very soon.